Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. And welcome to our kingdom. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, all mouth and no trousers. And freshly returned from playing with my organ in a crowded church, I am Ash Versus. And this is episode six of series one, and it took place on the 11th of February 1992. Double Impact is still number one at the box office. Let's talk a bit more about this movie because this whole conceit behind why Jean-Claude Van Damme wanted to do this movie where he essentially plays twins is because he wanted to show a bit more range as an actor <laughs> yeah. which is a lovely thought yeah. if he had any more range as an actor to show absolutely because you had the two brothers the whole plot of it is they were identical twins they were separated one went off to a martial arts Shaolin monk whatever and the other one went off to live in France yes and one of them's a douchebag and one of them isn't yeah he's a nicer kid yeah he's a nice kid allegedly allegedly i mean they are both kind of douchebags in the movie that's just jean claude showing that is that is i mean who knows which his preferred hairstyle is whether it's the more poodly or the more slick back yeah both have rat tails i think they should have done more with this they should have done more to differentiate the jean claudes like they should have got some wig play in maybe some extensions yeah absolutely i'm all on board for that maybe some contact lenses maybe make them look like don't make them so identical yeah. i mean i know a couple of different sets of twins a couple of different sets of identical twins but there's still enough that when you look closely you're like oh yeah yeah that one's got slightly different cheekbones or whatever it, i mean Nowadays, they'd probably do with prosthetics or just CGI tweaking after the fact. But even back then, they could have done a bit more. To drop a cheap plug for my book, Lights, Camera, Game Over, How Video Game Movies Got Made, available from all good bookstores, one of my favourite chapters was the Street Fighter chapter, and it was interviewing Steven D'Souza about working with Jean-Claude Van Damme, where he essentially, and this is very well publicised, this was not like breaking news in my book, but it was very well publicised that he had a terrible coke addiction 
and was just essentially running sets the way he wanted them to be run, which was he would show up whenever the F he wanted and would stay for as long as he wanted and would then go off and do something else. And still number one in the charts, it's Wet 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 with Goodnight Girl. I was looking at this and I was trying to work out what are we going to say about this this week. It's our fourth week. It's our fourth week. And the best thing I could come up with to say about it is, thank God we're not doing a period that starts in July 1991 because then we'd have Brian Adams with Anything I Do, I Do It For You for 15 sodding, sorry, no, 16 sodding weeks. That's a, that's a lot of weeks for that one is, song. That's a lot of weeks. That's a that's that's. That's more, I, I don't mind a bit of Brian Adams, but 16 weeks is more Brian Adams than I can handle, particularly power ballad Brian Adams. Damn you, Kevin Costner. Yeah, you think Waterworld was a mistake. <laughs> he gave us 16 weeks of Brian Adams at number one. <laughs> now, 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 the Canadian government has apologised for Brian Adams on several occasions. <laughs> not to me. <laughs> they must not have got as far as V. <laughs> But we have got some big games released this week uh, for the 11th of February, 1992. For the Game Boy, WWF Superstars. So I love this game and I love the style of this game and I loved everything about this game. And I need to get another Game Boy at some point. I'm probably going to get an old one and actually get some cases and mod it up and have a bit of fun. I'm going to customize it without sticking it all over it. <laughs> get some skateboard grips for it. No. <laughs> a Game Boy comes into this world naked. But I love this game. And I, yeah, I, I have a real fondness for this era of wrestling games. Um, WrestleMania Challenge on the NES is another one. I love, an, I love isometric wrestling games. It's one of the reasons I love the Fire Pro series. Yes. Right up until this day. In the arcades, X-Men. Here come the heroes to save the world from destruction. Oh, the multiplayer X-Men. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Welcome to die, X-Men. What oh. a fantastic game. We are entering a golden age of multiplayer scrolling beat-em-ups. We have X-Men. Uh, Simpsons. Simpsons. Ninja Turtles. Yep. Uh, they just... They, the, the concept of having four people all crowded around one machine and working collaboratively together to get through this game and then people drop out and come back in again. Yep. I cannot walk past a Ninja Turtles arcade game like when I'm out and about or me and my partner, we go to the Isle of Wight every so often. I see a Ninja Turtles game, I got to play it. Yeah. Because that game lodges in my psyche. I didn't have as much exposure to X-Men, but it fulfills the same desire which is to have this game that is shared that is a shared experience and not necessarily a competitive experience and it's a beautiful looking game as well so it's the the sprites are gorgeous the animations are gorgeous the voice acting is i mean it's got some uh translation issues in there Welcome to but i don't care it just looks amazing and it's so much fun to play. That era of comic books and that era of cartoons translated wonderfully for these arcade games because we were still kind of in the era of the four colours, of the use of um, halftone and so on and so forth to provide depth and texture. And that worked well for pixel-based gaming. That, yeah. that really fit it. And even going to some of the games for the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo outside of the arcade, when approached properly, like some of those Spider-Man games for the Mega Drive, 
Yes. They just look maximum carnage. Maximum carnage in particular. Maximum yeah. carnage is an amazingly lurid and very accurate depiction of one of the most psychopathic villains out there. My only disappointment about the X Men arcade game, much like the Turtles one, is there was no home port of it. Particularly the X Men one. We got a Turtles in Time port for the SNES. We did get Turtles, the arcade game, for the home computer. Y yes, we got it on the NES. We got it on the Amstrad CPC 464. Oh, we got it on the Amstrad, I suppose, yes. It was a game. Yeah. <laughs> but we did not get a SNES version of the X-Men arcade game. No. Which would have been perfect. That plus a four-player multi-tap. Yeah. Ooh. Hello, Ooh, that would have been nice. Wouldn't it just? You may be wondering why I'm playing with my organ in a crowded church. Well, this is Games Master, television's only video game magazine show. Coming to you from the only church in the country where Harry Seacombe is too fat to fit through the door. But nevertheless, we've managed to squeeze an ample portion into tonight's slot, with news, tips and game reviews guaranteed to have people stealing from their parents' purses to purchase them. But on to Games Master itself, Dominic Diamond welcomes us in. Um, and he says, you may be wondering why I'm playing with an organ in a crowded church. You know, he couldn't do many dick jokes while Jimmy White was around, but this episode, he's right back on him. It's dick jokes. It's also perhaps scathing commentary on Catholicism. <laughs> Who knows? And then dives straight into a joke about Harry Seacombe. Oh, I actually <laughs> felt this one was a little below the belt. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a big fan of the goon show, but I'm just like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> let's let's not do the sizest jokes because no. essentially it's saying Harry Seacombe, he goes to churches. He's too fat to get into ours. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yeah, Harry Seacombe, if you're not familiar, was a Welsh comedian and singer, as you said, part of the Goon Show. Probably most famous for being Mr. Bumble in Oliver with that read of... Please, sir. I want some. More? More? Also, Harry Seacombe was very well known for songs in praise. Yes. And arguably, after much of his acting career finished, and right up until his passing... He would still stroll around the hills of Wales singing. Sometimes there was a camera crew, sometimes there was not. But he did have a very potent singing voice. Lovely, lovely he singing was a, voice he was a he proper did. Welsh lad, he was. He just. Right, so our first challenge is up. Let's head on over to Games Master to find out what it is. Hello. How kind of you to join me once again. I have to admit to being rather pleased with the three little challenges I've managed to concoct for you this week. To tee us off, we take to the fairways and patty greens of top players golf. If you wish to complete my challenge successfully, you will need to play the first three holes of the country club course in level par. Best of luck. It is top players golf for the Neo Geo. You just need to complete the first three holes, uh, ending under par. Under or on par? I think it was. Uh, and, but yeah, under or on par, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You didn't need to be too flashy. You just needed to play the game within the rules. <laughs> uh, reviews for the game were mixed. Joystick gave it 91%, while CBG gave it 29%. That's a big golf. That's, that's a sand trap and two thirds. That's that, that's saying something. That is quite literally mixed reviews. <laughs> <laughs> that, is very, that is very mixed reviews. Well, actually, Jazzman, in his CBG review, because the Jazzman testifies in this review where he says... Fancy a round of golf, but can't be bothered to get off your bottom? Then perhaps top player golf is the one for you. The speech is impressive, but it's not really necessary. When you ignore that and just play the game, you find that it's really not much cop. There are Nintendo, PC Engine, Sega, Game Boy, and Mega Drive games more playable than this. Give it a miss. 
We're going to get to talk about the Neo Geo a bit more later this episode, but this really isn't a game that shows, you know, the meat and potatoes that the Neo Geo can do. Yeah, actually, funny enough, where I got that CVG review from is from a sort of like a collection of like, here are games you can get for these consoles. And the games they have selected for the Neo Geo, it's not any of the fighting games. It's not any of the Metal Slug games that really show it off. It's a load of not very good games and this. And it made you look like, like man, Neo Geo's not for me. But if you showed like Art of Fighting, Fatal Fury, Samurai Showdown, Metal Slug, you're like, actually, the Neo Geo is well for me. And if I could afford one, I definitely want one. For me, I love the fighting games. I love Metal Slug. It was all about wind jammers. No, oh, well, now you're talking. Now you're talking. Wind jammers, which I still want to see as a real competitive sport. Yes. Because it's tennis meets ultimate frisbee meets rollerball. It is dangerous and, yeah. And it's it's so well remembered that there was even a game that came out for the PS4. I remember because it was part of PlayStation Plus. It was essentially wind jammers. I yeah. forget what it was called. Turbo Disc or something like that. And the guys who made it went, yeah, we really like Windjammers. And I think they sent it to one of the developers and they're like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Well, you can actually get Windjammers on the Switch. Um, I think it's the SNES port of the game. But you can pick it up uh, on the, the Switch and thing on the PlayStation as well. My friends and I, before we went to Games Expo earlier this year, we all ran around to my house before we made the drive up to Birmingham and play some tabletop games. And we played Windjammers for hours. Absolutely hours on end and it was ace it's got such a simple gameplay mechanic and when you hit those trick shots when you score the points when you hit the different point zones it's so satisfying it's a game as well that i think benefits from having a really beefy sound system however you play it you want a good amount of bass and rumble because i remember playing that in the arcade and every impact of the disc on the score zone you felt in the cabinet yes yeah Unfortunately, we're not talking about Windjammers. We're no. talking about top players golf for the Neo Geo and aiming to keep his balls out of the bunker and into the holes. It's Mark Budawano. Now, when we started, we had the gentleman's agreement about not punching down at the kids. Yeah. This guy's an adult. <laughs> yeah. He's fair game because, dear Lord, this guy turned up to Games Master in a suit. You perfectly described him. Just before you got here, you texted me saying, he is Tim Nice but Dim but in real life. Now, Mark, I understand you're a bit of a mean golfer in real life. Well, that's right. I play uh, at Ross and Y Golf Club, and I have a handicap of four. Right, okay. Now, how do you fancy your chances on the computer equivalent? Um, prefer to be doing the real thing, but uh, I'll give it a go. He is. He is very Tim, nice but dim, and just immediately not warming himself to the crowd, going, well, I'd rather be playing golf for real. I, 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 I have a handicap of four at Ross on Y golf course. Yeah. Rah, rah, rah. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I apologize if, <laughs> if Mark ends up listening to this review of the episode because we do want to see if we can try and track down some of the people that did appear on this show. But you're doing yourself no favors, Mark. You know, and I apologize if you hear this and you feel offended by that. Contact us, get in touch. But man, you did not come across well. You came across as kind of a douchebag. Yeah. Like we were talking proper Wolf of Wall Street level douchebag. But it's an unfortunate game to play as well because it is, it's not the most visually interesting challenge to watch, even though the Neo Geo is a gorgeous console and produces some amazing looking games. It's 
just not that very interesting a challenge. The thing that occurred to me, maybe the reason they got him in for this is because the Neo Geo, it's not a cheap console. No, it is not. So like, we're not going to give this to a kid. They'll probably <laughs> yeah. smear Marmite over it or something. <laughs> Let's get someone in that appreciates a bit of class and will treat the controller with a fair amount of sense, decorum and respect. And he does. He holds that controller very daintily throughout <laughs> the challenge. He's cupping the ball of that joystick very lightly. We said on last week's episode that Dominic Diamond was being very mean to some of his colour commentators, at least the ones that weren't Jimmy White. And he does the same thing with Neil West, where he introduces him as his own personal handicap. <laughs> In fairness to Dominic Diamond, Neil West is sat there looking kind of like a ventriloquist doll at this <laughs> yeah. point. Like He's sat there with his legs dangling over the edge and a baseball cap on. And yeah. like I'm waiting for Dominic's one arm to disappear and then just Neil West to... Huh, huh, Neil West go. to be like, don't trust the caddy, they'll just lie to you. <laughs> balls in the rough, balls in the rough. Right, well, so this challenge... Um, oh, man. So he, he, he... Does he par the first hole? He passed the first hole. And it's a par five next. I'm pretty sure Dominic Diamond only wanted this chance so he can make a couple of stroke jokes, which he does during throughout this challenge. He does describe the second course as a thin and tricky hole. There you go. But yeah, he does say nice stroke. But the thing is, he doesn't labour it. He just lets the language do the work <laughs> for him. Now, here's a shocking revelation for you. I used to play golf. Here's a shocking revelation for you. As do I, I also bloody love it. Do you know why I used to play golf? Why? Because it got me out of French. <laughs> I didn't go to an overly rough secondary school. I didn't go to an overly posh secondary school. I have a weird kind of accent that doesn't belie the fact that I come from the West Midlands. I can blame that on the schools I went to when I was very young. But there was a teacher at my secondary school that loved golf and was clearly trying to find a way to get it into the curriculum so he could essentially play golf on, on the job on school time. <laughs> And I tell you what, there was maybe one person in that golf club, so to speak, mm -hmm. that was actually there because they wanted to play golf. The rest of us were people like me that was trying to dodge a certain subject, French. There was some of the rowdier lads who basically used it because we had to go down to the furthest sports field to basically practice our strokes. No sniggering at the back. Nope. And essentially, they could when they were retrieving the balls... Diamondism. Diamondism. They could have a quick fag. Because <laughs> they were out of sight. And yeah. this guy was an older teacher and his eyesight was not great. Yeah. But then every, like, once or twice a term, we would go to the local pitch and putt and we would actually do a little competition. And it was proper caddy shack, except without the caddies. It was just us running right over this golf course while a teacher just went off and played the big boy courses. <laughs> It's funny you should say the, your love of golf. My dad also loved golf around this period of time. When I got my Mega Drive, and I kind of took us through like the catalogue of games I got in the sort of earlier episodes of this, my dad bought a game for the Mega Drive. He bought Arnold Palmer's Tour Golf. See, I thought you were going to say PGA Tour. Oh, no, he got the Arnold Palmer one. When Arnold Palmer died a couple of years ago, the name struck a chord with me because I was like, I know who that is. My dad bought his game in 1991. Golf games can be a lot of fun, yeah. whether they're serious golf simulations or crazy golf. There are some great arcade crazy golf titles out there where they really decide to do daft stuff with the physics. And while I'd argue maybe they're a spectator sport, your straight-up golf game isn't. Mario Golf, this is not. This isn't even Outlaw Golf. Do you remember Outlaw <laughs> yeah, Golf? I do remember Outlaw Golf. I've still got it. <laughs> GameCube OG. 
So he passed the first hole uh, and gets a bogey on the second one. So he has to. Oh, look at you. So he has to. <laughs> so he has to. He's got to get a birdie on his final uh, hole, which is a par three. <laughs> I'm just appreciating all these words that are flying out. I just like said under or over par, and you're like bogey birdie. Drives it straight into the bunker, comes close, that's it. The challenge ends, and Dominic Diamond even says that ended in abject failure. So that means that Mark has gone over par, and his challenge has sadly ended in abject failure. Bad luck, Mark. You started off very well, parred the first hole, but then it seemed to be when you got into the green, your trouble started. The nearer you got to the hole, the more nervous you got. I really couldn't judge the pace of the greens at all, and uh, I've just messed up. It's a bit harsh. But accurate. Yeah. Harsh, but fair. But again, we were saying that he didn't do himself any favours. He doesn't do himself any favours here, where he said, I just uh, couldn't judge the pace of the greens. As for his reason why he uh, bollocked up his two putts on the second hole. He really bollocks up the putt on the second hole. Like, like by not actually putting, he essentially chipped it. Yes. Over the hole. It was, yeah, it was bobbins. It was terrible. And at that point, it was just like, nah, he's not going to recover it. Because essentially, it left him in the position where he had to do the third hole in two strokes. Exactly. And as Dominic said in the post-challenge banter, the closer he got to the hole, the more nervous he got. <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> so did he. <laughs> and Dominic Diamond continues that theme by saying that he's going to head back to Ross on Y for a sad stroke or two of his own. And while Mark treads back to Ross on Y for a sad stroke or two on his own, we're going to cast our eyes over the latest reviews. This week we take to our TARDISes and have a look at futuristic games. First up on the Amiga, fight through claustrophobic corridors of furious facehuggers in Alien Breed. The scenery is, is very detailed, uh, a lot of interesting lighting effects, which work quite well. I enjoy the game, but basically it goes on the same night, shooting the monsters. The same monsters appear all the time. Well, Breed is very atmospheric, but if you're looking for an involved space adventure to blast away at for a while, you're going to be disappointed because it's the same a lot of the time. And our theme this week is futuristic games with a motley crew of Gary Penn from PC Format, Math Evans from Amiga Format returning once again, and Alex Luca, is, which is a child just like we had last week, which we said we really enjoyed, actually. I think it's a I, really nice perspective. Yeah, and they're, they're clearly trying to find kids that can actually speak to the camera. Uh, even if they're not the most interesting, they're at least not just kind of nervously mumbling under their breath. They've got some level of presentation and ability, which is nice. And again, maybe is trying to make it more relatable than 20-somethings that have just staggered in from their pub lunch. Exactly. And we're kicking things off with Alien Breed for the Amiga. Well, this is a game that isn't hiding from being a rip-off of Aliens. Did you see the Aliens games that were around at the time? Hey, hey now, Alien 3 is an amazing game. Although that won't come out for another year. So, you're right. Yes! <laughs> This is this is a game that perfectly captures Aliens. Aliens had a bit better of a fair in the arcade, and we still had better to come. Yep. But this game was a great Aliens ripoff. It captured the gung-ho, game-over man, marine nature of Aliens perfectly. And I love this game. I still love it now. I've got it on Steam. Oh, and nice. it's still fun to play. And the sequels are also equally fun to play. Are they repetitive? Yeah, I wouldn't mainline all of them. You know, I wouldn't just go let's back to back these some bitches like I would with say, I don't know, 
some other games that I can't possibly think of mm-hmm. at this point in time. <laughs> yeah. But no, they're, they're not. They don't withstand repeated play constantly, but they are fun. They're exactly what they say on the tin. So I don't necessarily agree with this review. Well, this is a review. It gives it 70% uh, with Gary saying that the scenery is very detailed, but Math says that it's uh, just repetitive. And uh, Alex, our audience member, says that you just shoot the monsters and they're all the same monster. Yeah, that's kind of the idea of a swarm alien species. Yeah. Uh, As you said, it did spawn a, a series of sequels all the way up until 2010. I did go back and I watched a sort of a long play of this on video, I sort of scrubbed through it on, on YouTube. And I found that the ending screen's quite fun because it essentially says, What were you expecting? An animation? Were you expecting an ending? Well, unfortunately, this is a budget title and we could not afford to do it. In reality, we ran out of disk space. It's a fair comment. It's a fair comment. I'll be honest, I'm not sure I've actually gotten all the way to see that, but spoilers. They fully own up (laughs) and just say, we don't have the disk space, and we thought we'd have more levels than aliens. We thought that was the right choice. No, that is absolutely the right choice. You look at a lot of arcade games, they didn't have great endings at that point. You look at a lot of games in general, they didn't have great endings at that point. A winner is you, that was it. (laughs) Or the Ghostbusters endgame. Absolutely, I was about to say the Ghostbusters one, yeah. yeah. Arrest our weary heroes. (laughs) Which is arguably about as much of an ending as that first movie gets, where they just drive <laughs> off into the sunset to rest their weary heroes. Get ready. Next up, forget fair play as the sport of the future comes to the Mega Drive in Speedball 2. That's basically like football with, with no rules. And the fact that you can beat the shit out of each other um, does make it far more entertaining than a straight football game. I think recombining transfer players is a really good idea. So you can build your team up. I definitely recommend it. If you've got a Mega Drive and you've seen the Amiga version and interested in it, then you'll still find it a wholesome game that you can really get stuck into, even if there are a few presentation quirks that don't make it quite as good. Right, well, much better for the Mega Drive. It's Speedball 2. Oh, another thigh-rubbing exercise. Yes, mate. Ah, love this game. This game, again, it fits. We were talking about Windjammers earlier. Here's a sport we really need to see. Yes. Let's get in there. Never mind Vince McMahon and the WWE bringing back XFL. Just show him this and go, Vince, just take the wrestlers, put them in a box, speedball. I mean, and look at this accolade here. Third best game of all time by Amiga Power. PC Gaming US called it the 24th best game of all time. Like, and that's across all platforms. Uh, 1998 PC Gamer called it the 40th best computer game of all time. It won the Golden Joystick Award for best soundtrack. This game was great. I mean, I, I was pretty crap at it, I'll be honest. I, I was not as good at this as I was at FIFA, but I loved the heckins out of Speedball 2. Same. I don't think I'll, I'm better at it now. Like, if I go back and play it now, I think because I'm more used to this concept of sports that aren't real. Mm. I hate saying that about this game because I want it to be real. Despite the fact that the injury tally would be horrific. <laughs> but I want this game to be real. And so going back and playing it now, I find myself way better at it. Playing it against the computer isn't as satisfying now. Mm. It works best as a multiplayer experience and... Um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that maybe we'll get a continuation of Speedball one day. We'll get because I think I think it would benefit from a full 3D environment. I think it would benefit from modern gameplay technology. I think it would benefit from the same sort of uh, marketing and exposure and promotion as Rocket League. It has the potential to be a serious esport contender if you build it right. Yeah, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. 
don't microtransaction it. No. Not to not to FIFA levels. You can have add-ons, you can have skins, you can have extra stuff, but make the gameplay the core mechanic. And that's what uh, Gary says here. He said it's football with no rules. I'm pretty sure he swears at this point as well because they kind of sort of like fuzz out where he says you beat the ass out of people is what it sounds like he says. It's also described as wholesome. <laughs> yeah. He was looking for a word. That was not the word. No, but my favorite part of this review is Amiga Boy Math, who says that it's good, but it's not as good as the Amiga version. He's right. I mean, it's he's not. right, but it really made me laugh. Amiga supremacy. Exactly. Two words that so rarely <laughs> went together. <laughs> Although, it, I'm, I, as I've admitted before, I do suffer from Amiga Envy because so many of the games just look so beautiful. Yeah. My local game shop has an Amiga 500 right now. It's the cartoon Ooh. pack. It's boxed. It's got Captain Planet with it. Nice. And yeah. He's a, he's a hero. He's totally a hero. It's got lemmings. Well, I mean, that's, what, why, have you, why is it still there? Because we're recording here. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, fair point. Also, money. Because <laughs> guess what? It's a boxed Amiga. It's got not an exorbitant price tag, but a suitable price yeah. tag. It's got a respectable price tag. Finally, on the PC, take to the stars for some aerial acrobatics in Wing Commander 2. It's a lot of flash presentation and a lot of attempt to create an atmosphere with the graphics. And the thing is, when you get down to it, the, the graphics is all there is. There's not a lot of depth to the gameplay at all. Looks all very nice, but incredibly boring to play. Very, very dull. Well, Speedball 2 for the Mega Drive gets a great 85% score, which is a lot better than Wing Commander 2 gets. I love the Wing Commander series, but I'm not going to argue with the score given to Wing Commander 2, because I think... Wing Commander 3 onwards was where it got interesting and where it got good for two very important reasons. The first of them is Mark. Yes. And the second is Hamill. Yeah, that's exactly it. Luke yeah. Skywalkering all over the shop. Although a bit more gruff. He's actually a bit more Han Solo than Luke Skywalker. He's getting to ex he's getting to explore the space. It's it's fascinating to watch like playthroughs because I, I, I did this while I was doing my notes. So watching a playthrough of Wing Commander 2 and Wing Commander 3. Because Wing Commander 2, its cutscenes are like, you know, they're nice drawings and that. But it is just drawings. It's cartoon characters with some speech text underneath it to tell you the story. And then you cut to Wing Commander 3, where it's full motion video. And it's Mark Hamill and Biff Tannen from Back to the Future. And it just looks wicked. It is amazing. And the best thing is, you can still get and play these games right now. You can go to GOG, good old games. And they're there, and the launcher means they're all configured and they just work. I picked them up in a sale earlier this year because my brain just went, I want to pick up some of these games I played when I got my first PC that I built myself. The gameplay hasn't held up as well as some, but the video still looks great. And also, this was a cast. Yeah. This was really, there were, there were games at that point where people were still being attracted into this brand new medium. Wing Commander, Seventh Guest the Tex Murphy series of games that went full motion video. And the first one I played was like the fourth or fifth in the series. And it was the Pandora Directive. And again, it was all point and click adventure, but with full motion graphics. And it was Blade Runner-ish. And it was just, it had names. It, it was at the cusp of where they weren't just doing the Laserdisc style games. They were actually going, okay, we're going to get some cool footage, but let's make sure there is actually a game to play around it. I wanted to interview uh, Chris Roberts as well for the book because I did the Wing Commander movie as one of my chapters. Mm. And he directed the movie. You know, he wrote and directed that. I didn't write it, sorry, he, di he directed the movie. 
And so it was just really interesting to watch a guy who created this game to see it grow from one, two, to the formation video of three and four, and then direct a live action movie of it starring Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. yeah. It's not the best film in the world, but there's Isn't a very fascinating story behind it. And I really enjoyed writing I enjoyed writing that chapter more than I thought I was like not the more I thought not more than I thought I was going to, but like the more I read about it, the more surprised I got at, at the film's development. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting story. One that you can find out about. There you go. There you go. There's, there's a cheap a, plug. There's a cheap plug. Well, unfortunately, uh, I think this review is a case of the people reviewing it are not the target audience. We've sort of had this previously in a couple of reviews because uh, Math calls it dull. Uh, and Gary says there's a lot of flash and attempts to boost the presentation, but at the end of the day, that's all there is. There's not a lot of depth. I wouldn't argue with that. I do like Wing Commander 2, but I, it's not one that I'm going to go, let's go and play Wing Commander 2. I will go, let's go and play Wing Commander 4. It's got Mark Hamill and Biff Tannen in it. But again, like it's, I think it's again, playing to your audience because I watched a YouTube playthrough of this game. It's six hours long. And Computer Gaming World in 1991 called uh, its stories mesmerizing and clearly excellent. Uh, the magazine concluded that it flies right and plays not only with one's computer, but also one's emotions. Wow. Yeah, they really liked it. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, uh, th that is playing to the audience the other week when we were talking about the King's Quest game. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm it, saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, horses for courses. And now for this week's feature. With a cornucopia of new consoles either having just been released or about to hit the scene, console buyers face greater choice than ever before. Over the next few weeks, we'll be finding out whether these machines are the ultimate in gaming fulfillment or simply all mouth and no trousers. Today, Paul Lakin, editor of GameZone magazine, casts his peepers at the Neo Geo. Most consoles claim to have arcade-style, arcade-quality graphics and sound. With the Neo Geo, you've actually got an arcade machine. If you possess your own Neo Geo, you can go and play the game in the arcade, save your game position on a credit card, take it home and continue playing at home. Quite why you'd want to do that, I don't know. The machine itself is very impressive. It's got over four, the capability to put over 4,000 colors on screen at one time. And this 24-bit processor is the most powerful available at the moment. If you're feeling rich and you're feeling like the most powerful machine available, then the Neo Geo is the one to have. But it is a lot of money. Well, on to our feature. And Dominic Diamond says over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going through each console individually from the 16-bit era to decide which one you should put money into or if they're all mouth and no trousers. And they literally start with the one that 99% of us were never going to own. We were never even going to get to touch and we would only ever see behind a glass cabinet. We yes. start with the Neo Geo. Yeah, Paul Lincoln, editor of GameZone magazine, takes us through the Neo Geo, and he essentially says, you know, what the Neo Geo's big selling point is, is it is an arcade cabinet in your home. I didn't see a Neo Geo in the flesh until I went to university and a friend of mine had one, but he only had like two games for it, and he was just like, I'm now gonna, because he wanted to buy a copy of like, you know, uh, Final Fights and the Metal uh, well he wanted Metal Slug but that's like a grand if you want to pick that up now so it was just like no I'm going to have to pick up this I'm going to have to get this I'm going to have to get this but playing it was like this is this feels pretty special to be able to play this console in 1992 it would have blown my tiny little mind to actually get my hands on one but it's you know it's it's an impressive bit of kit when we were in Japan I showed my wife one of the cartridges and I was like check this out and I held up the box and I was like, you know what's crazy about this box? The whole cart fills the exact that fills this box. Like there's there's no wasted packaging here. Well, let's head over to our celebrity challenge with the Games Master. Nice to see you again. 
I do hope you enjoyed my last little jaunt. For my second challenge this week, I thought we might take to the pieces with Ski or Die, a most amusing little game in which carefree young stunt skiers, or hot doggers as I believe they're called, perform dazzling aerial acrobatics. You will have three jumps with which to impress the panel of six judges. Marks are awarded for speed, altitude, difficulty of maneuver, and grace. So come out spinning and reach for the skies. Today we're going to be playing Ski or Die on the Amiga, Games Master calling them Hot Doggers. You know I said about the joy last week of Patrick Moore saying Duck Tails? Yep. It's just been superseded by Patrick Moore saying Hot Doggers. <laughs> hot Doggers. Because the way he says it, he could be talking about particularly attractive people that enjoy public sex. Yep. Or he's just saying, you know, it, it feels like it, because hot dogging, I believe, is what some people call skiing. And he is just, but it, the way that he phrases it, and the way the Games Master is published, and the way that this game is put together, it does feel like he is doing hot doggers. Hot doggers. Do you think by this point he's maybe seen some rushes of some of the early episodes? And he's <laughs> like, oh, we're doing that kind of show, <laughs> are we? Okay, I see. Or maybe this is after he'd consumed some of his payment and was yes. a little bit tipsy. <laughs> And they were like, okay, we're going to have to edit round some of the problematic stuff, but we can leave hot doggers in. Well, it's a very simple task. You just need to impress the judges and get the best score. Uh, and to take on this challenge, it's Pat Sharp and Mick Brown. Now, um, Mick, first of all, how long have you been a joystick waggler? Well, I've been a joystick waggler for quite a few years. I was once arrested for it, but ever since I took up this... I've found that you can't get arrested for it, so it's been quite a few years. Okay, now, Pat, I know you're a games fan as well, but you're also quite a big skiing freak also. Yeah, as you said, Dominic, you know, going on the Beasties fan, but it's the old Apfrey ski that I prefer, just taking it easy, but I'm going to give it my best shot today. Okay, now, I know there's a bit of rivalry between the two years. I have to ask you, Pat, can you take Mick? I'll have to ask my wife first. Okay. The one thing that immediately struck me about these two compared to a lot of the previous celebrities we've had these guys are used to working an audience. They're used to working with people, they're used to having to think quickly and react quickly which is why as soon as dominic diamond throws out even the hint of an innuendo they volley it back oh mick brown is all over it mick brown is taking the wank joke and going yeah i got arrested for it yeah <laughs> but then i discovered video games and it's fine pat sharp implying potential bisexuality it's great because dominic diamond asks him can you take mick and he just looks at the camera and says i'll have to ask my wife first it rattles Dominic a bit. Dominic kind of, <laughs> Dominic corpses. And he's like, bruh. So on the subject of uh, Ski or Die, little is actually written about the game when I was doing some research for it. However, if you're in the market for this, there is a fan site dedicated to Ski or Die. You can find it at ski-or-die.com and it's got various downloads for the games and lots of hints and, che hints and cheats and all the everything you'd need to master this game. I get the feeling we've touched on this before, but I think there was the whole or die series because there was skate, skate or, or die, die, ski or die, or the tabletop gaming one, die you or die. die. <laughs> Very good. So any of our viewers or listeners who might not know, uh, Pat Sharp and Mick Brown at this point were capital radio DJs in the late 80s and sort of into the early 90s, but they were also a musical act. Yes. With their hit song, Let's All Chant. <laughs> Do you know what? And to, it, that is so weird. I didn't listen to it. I'd completely forgotten about the musical duo thing. But as soon as you said, let's all chant, I just heard some voices in the back of my head going, <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> wow. That, yeah. that's, that shows that Mick and Pat were more powerful 
than Wet 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 because that <laughs> took a listen for me to recognise that song. Um, Mick is still doing Drive Time. He's still, uh, both of them are still on the radio. He's doing Drive Time and Saturday Breakfast Shows for Radio Jackie. And Pat uh, presents Greatest Hits Radio, which sounds so perfectly Pat Sharp. Uh, but yep, yeah, he's best known for presenting Funhouse, at least in my view as well. And he once DJed at my university. I saw him DJ fairly recently at uh, Sci-Fi Weekender. Wow. It was a banger of a set, and he got the Funhouse <laughs> theme in there. I will say, we ribbed on Mark earlier for wearing a suit. Mick is wearing a suit, but you know what? He is a professional. He is. And also, it was a nice counterpoint to Pat, who essentially looks exactly like you would expect Pat Sharp to look. His hair is magnificent. His, he, Pat Sharp is a lovely human being, as far as I know. Apologies if a scandal has come out <laughs> between us recording this. Uh, I met him briefly. He was very charming and warm and welcoming. And he has so much genuine enthusiasm for so much. And I think a lot of that comes from his hair. Yeah. I think they may be shorter now, but kind of in his, in the spirit world, the mullet is still there because it's teased, it's feathered, it's bleached and it's spiked. And it's just, it's it's got as much personality as the man himself. And Pat fared much better at our university than another uh, children's entertainer from this same sort of period of time Hang did. On. Let me see if I can guess. Timmy Mallet. It is not Timmy. Oh. No, no, I wasn't going to name who it was for fear because we I, I, we did talk about this on the radio station after the incident had happened. But he uh, and his puppet friend got um, very, very... They had too much uh, fun, white fun, some might say. And uh, the, the man got very belligerent and started swearing at all of us through the puppets. <laughs> and it was it was quite a traumatic experience, but we had quite the laugh about it when we were on the radio a couple of hours later. He didn't fulfill his DJ sets. So we won't name for legal reasons who that was, but use your imagination because you know what? Even if you're wrong, the mental image will still be pretty funny. <laughs> to find out who wins this celebrity battle of the joystick tuggers, join us after these messages. <laughs> Get ready for the hottest event ever on Sky One. Hulk Hogan and Sid Justice take on The Undertaker and the newly crowned champion Ric Flair in the WWF Wrestling main event, Sunday at 7, exclusively on Sky One. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Did you know the world record for kissing is 8,001 in eight hours? Isn't that amazing? That's not amazing. McDonald's is doing six chicken McNuggets, medium fries, and a medium soft drink for just £2.70. Now that's amazing. You know you say the nicest things. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I don't. Welcome back. We're getting ready for the battle of the DJs here. Mick Brown against Pat Sharp in an aerial skiing contest. Joining me in my pulpit piece from Computer and Video Games Magazine is Tim Boone. Hello, Dominic. Tim, welcome back. Um, any general tips you could give to our two DJ game players? Sure. The tips I'd give the guys is to waggle the joystick like hell before you actually take off to get as far off as you can into the atmosphere and do as many loops and backspins and flips as you can. Really impress those judges. Really go for it, basically. Okay, speed, skill and smoothness then, guys. Are you ready? Ready. Okay, Mick, take your first jump. Uh, Tim Boone from CBG is back, um, and they make a lot of waggling joystick jokes, essentially. It oh, and on the piste as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I and mean, this whole, if you're wondering what the dick joke is for this challenge, it is uh, joystick plus waggling equals punchline. When you look at the gameplay, it was really the only way they could go, because this game, the gameplay, is comprised of two sections, one of which is the downward slope, the building up of the speed for the jump. You build up speed by waggling the joystick like a mad bastard. Yeah, it's like track and field. You're just whack, whacking the buttons. Yeah. This, you're just waggling the joystick. You then get to the jump, where you perform numerous tricks by waggling the joystick like a mad bastard. Yep. Essentially, apart from trying to make sure you're in the right position to hit the landing, this game is entirely joystick waggling. And I imagine the training sessions, sorry, the training sessions, yep. to add the bunny quotes in, mainly involved them being shown, right, waggle the joystick here, waggle the joystick here, try not to stack the landing. Yeah, and this really is a, a challenge of two halves, whereas Mick is all about finesse, but not really about style, whereas Pat Sharp is all about the tricks, but not about landing. Because Mick's up first, and he's going straight into orbit. Like he's got, and he literally does go, you go so high up that you essentially reach space. And he does one tiny little flip and lands perfectly. Scores high, like, you know, he scores a lot of high sixes. He got a lot of elevation. He didn't make the most use of it, but very clean landing. Yep. And I did like the graphical touch of going into the stratosphere, which makes me think that Patrick Moore had some prompting when he was recording his intro for the challenge. Mm. Because at the end of the challenge introduction, he says he wants them to come out spinning and reach for the skies. Nice. And I, th I thought that was a really nice line. Yeah. And it was clearly showed a bit of knowledge, at least imparted to him about what the game was like. Because, yeah, when you see the moon and you're like, wow, that's, that's some jumping. It's really, really cool. Not scientifically accurate, but we'll let it slide. I feel like that Dominic Diamond is trying to get over the joke of smoothness 
in in all of this joystick waggling because he says it a lot throughout this challenge as it, I think he thinks that's his big gambit for this. Tim points out that while the judges don't mind some smoothness, they're more interested in some action. That's exactly it. It's a good counterpoint. It is, yeah. Mick says that his final one's going to be the big one. He goes into <laughs> orbit again, does one single pose, lands it, gets 13 points, 54.5 points in total. It's not a bad score, but he should have known better because as soon as you'd make a comment like this is going to be the big one sod's law dictates you're setting yourself up for a fall well my favorite thing about uh when pat goes up is that tim boone gives the very very good advice well, tim pat's gonna have his work cut out to my start how Definitely. would you advise him to take each of his jumps i think that he should put some points straight down by doing a, a straightforward jump on the first jump and if that's successful really go for it i'm talking about a triple loop possibly okay let's see if pat takes your advice pat when you're ready take your first jump which is like okay well he's seen what Mick's got as points. So what Pat needs to do is to do a really big jump, but play it safe and just make sure you stick that landing. See what points you get, and then you can play with what you do. Pat just launches himself, does as many flips as he can, falls flat on his face. And there goes Pat down the slope. He's getting as much speed as he can. He's up the top. Absolutely. At the very last minute was just too ambitious. Should have lifted as it was, gone for those big points, and he would have scored massive. Does not play it safe. Caution to the winds. That's Pat. That's Pat. <laughs> that's that that's a whole lot of fun with prizes to be won, Pat. <laughs> that's getting ready for a gunge tank career, Pat. Yeah, and in the end, he just falls and he falls and he falls, and then he needs to get over 30 for his final jump. And he falls. No, he lands the third jump. Does he? Ta- he oh, does. he does land it. It's he a terrible lands. jump. That he was lands it. the third jump. But it was not a very good jump. He gets 18.3 for his final score. His final uh, total was 40.6. Mick is the winner. Well, first of all, congratulations, Mick. Incredibly smooth jump in there. How did you manage to train Pat so thoroughly? Well, it was all down to training. You know, I was out at uh, Hampstead Heath the other night, and uh, it all kind of worked well. You know, it was a bit cold, and it was great. It just paid off training. Okay, well, now, Pat... You did some very fancy work, but you just seem to be trying to do a bit too much there. Well, my jumping's a bit like my jumper, really, a bit too much, so that's why. I can quite agree with that. Yeah, that's the thing. Mick then says that he did all of his training at Hampstead Heath the other night. Now. Now then. Now then. This is not a 6.30pm joke. It really is. No, this is a joke that Bo Selector would do a lot of <laughs> much later at night. It's not a joke that's aged the best. No, it really hasn't. Uh, it didn't say I'm it was... surprised it actually made it out. Even by Games Master standards, I'm surprised that one slipped through the 6.30pm. Uh, it does say, it was cold out there, but it worked out well. Uh, Pat says that his jump was a lot like his jumper. It's a bit much. And it is a snazzy jumper. It is the most stylish <laughs> and beautiful jumper hidden by a very stylish denim jacket oh absolutely i do wonder if mick wore the suit just to act as a counterpoint i've got, I've got to think that he did well i'm afraid part that you've missed out on our star prize which goes to mick <gasps> now mick I'm a car? Sure, I'm a car? Gonna, uh, it's even better than a car i'm sure you've won many awards for djing but none as special as this Should the world? our special huge golden games master joystick <laughs> Now, Mick, you 
you can take that home, and I'm sure you could do a lot of damage with something like that. I'm sure it could do a lot of damage to someone, yeah. So <laughs> I shall gladly uh, accept this on behalf of uh, Capital FM, because I think, well, actually, what we'll do, Pat, we'll put this in the Capital Foyer in London, so everyone can come up and uh, have a gaggle at my joystick. Oh, okay. uh, Mick thinks that he's won a car, but instead he's or won a holiday the, or, or anything. <laughs> instead, he has won the huge... Games Master Joystick, where you can take that home and do a lot of damage with it. But instead, he said he's going to put it in the Capital Radio lobby so everyone can come gaggle at his joystick. Again, joystick plus waggle slash gaggle equals punchline. Yes, basically, the joystick is his penis. (laughs) (laughs) So with the challenge over, Dominic Diamond says... Now, Now, Pat and Mick obviously have their problems. We can't help them. That Mick and Pat clearly have their problems, but they can't help them with that. <laughs> Hello, Games Master. Welcome to my kingdom. I am delighted to see you. And what have you got to ask me? I've been playing Zelda for months, but I can't find the Guardian on level 7. Can you tell me where it is, please? Zelda does indeed require a modicum of common sense. To locate the particular Guardian you're after, go to the top right-hand corner room, kill hands, and then push the rock over to the right. A secret passage will appear, and if you go down it, you will find the Guardian. Thanks, love. And our first troubled gamer is stuck on The Legend of Zelda. This was something I spotted in an earlier episode, and it's something I'd forgotten about. But do you remember being a kid and not calling them bosses or end-level bosses or anything like that, but calling them Guardians? Like, oh, did you get to the Guardian on level two? No, I called them bosses. I distinctly remember calling them Guardians, and he does it here as well. He can't find the Guardian on level 7 of Legend of Zelda, and someone else in an episode previous said that they couldn't beat the Guardian at the end of Altered Beast. I think it depends on the game. Fantasy games did use Guardians, uh, going to back to paper games, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, mm. or my personal favourite, the fighting fantasy novels. I yeah. love those. They were Guardians or just guards they were wards they were something but they weren't bosses and I think calling him a guardian in this game very accurate but I wouldn't call Bowser a guardian Guardian. I wouldn't call Robotnik a guardian at least you call him by the right name Um, oh sorry Eggman (laughs) but this is a tough one as well because you've essentially got to just know that pushing the block on the right hand side will reveal the stairway so you can get there and then go fight your guardian games master describes it as a modicum of common sense and i'm like really there's no. no common sense behind that zelda's nails without that guys it really is uh, zelda the first one absolute nails the second one quite weird but also absolute nails link to the past is when they kind of hit their stride the super yeah. nintendo and getting that game in, that was the first Zelda game that I really got into and also that I completed. So as as much as I love Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, uh, Twilight Princess, haven't played Breath of the Wild yet. It's that Zelda on the Super Nintendo that I will go back to because every bit of music, every sound effect, every glitch, beep and bloop is just, to me, quintessential Nintendo and also will still be the pinnacle of where that game goes, particularly when you have all the text dialogue and it's got your name, and no matter what you put, it's all caps. Yeah. <laughs> I was always a Link's Awakening man. The rogue choice. No, no, Link's Awakening, very good. Also enjoying a renaissance right now on yeah, the yeah, Switch. Totally and it's, the re-release, yeah. it's a beautiful game. I've uh, watched my housemate play it, and I will definitely be re- revisiting that. 
fun fact with Link's Awakening, it originally started as a hobby. Yes. Because someone yeah, wanted yeah, yeah. to develop it, uh, that they wanted to develop a Zelda game for the Game Boy, and they were told no. So they started working on a Game Boy dev kit to teach themselves the Game Boy after hours, and it became a little bit of a kind of a coders club in the evening at Nintendo. And when they had a working demo, they presented it, and Nintendo went, this is pretty cool, we'll give you a couple more dev kits, and off you go. It's lovely to hear Nintendo really actually encouraged creativity that way, rather than going, you were using dev kits out of hours <laughs> for unauthorized projects. And that's why there's random stuff in there, like the Yoshi and like the Chain Chomps in there and all, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, they, they, did, they did reuse some sprites and recycle some stuff and also just fill it with Easter eggs. But I think it's remembered more fondly by a lot of people than the SNES game because the Game Boy had a longer shelf life. There were two versions of that game. There was the oh, yeah. Game Boy and the Game Boy Color version. And it could be played by people all the way up until the end of the Game Boy Advance era. Yeah. So there was a long old library, whereas once the Super Nintendo was out of homes, unless you were a burgeoning retro gamer, there wasn't much you could do. Hello, Games Master. Hello, and nice to see you. Now, what can I do for you? I keep getting killed at the end of the Dust Planet in Forgotten Worlds. How can I destroy the Dust Dragon? Foolish boy. It sounds to me as if you've been overlooking the fact that the dragon's only weak point is its heart. Shots aimed anywhere else are simply wasted. If you stray low to avoid the razor claws and keep firing at the heart, you should have no trouble disposing of the beast. Oh, that's brilliant. Thanks very much. Well, I've got more to say about that game than I have this next one, which is for Forgotten Worlds. And our second child is stuck on the dust planet. Uh, Games Master calls him a foolish boy. Uh, you just have to aim low, aim at his heart. Every other shot is useless. In defense of the foolish boy, hitboxes were a weird thing on yeah. old games. Nowadays, you get dialogue or UI hint or targeting system or some sort of exposition that's like, I can't believe I take him down. I need to go for the heart. Back then, if you were lucky, certain bits would flash differently to other parts of the boss. Yeah. Other times, you just had to guess. I've been told there's a wall on level one of Snake, Rattle and Roll, but I haven't been able to find it. Can you tell me where it is, please? Indeed I can, young man. Though I do feel you should have moved on from this game a long time ago. Oh, well, no matter. From the start, keep going right as fast as possible, avoiding all obstacles. Eventually, you will see a rocket. If you jump up and catch the rocket, you can walk to level eight. That's great. Thanks very much. Well, you will find it works. And then our final guy has heard that there is a warp on the first board of Snake, Rattle and Roll. Where is it? Games Master dissing this game off the bat, which I'm mortified by. I like Snake, Rattle and Roll. Who it's doesn't a like Snake, Rattle and Roll? I love that style of game. Snake, Rattle and Roll. Marble Madness. Yes. Um, Great music as well. Yeah. So I, I disagree with the Games Master on this one. Just because there are newer games to be played, you shouldn't ignore the classics. And he should know that. There's a very simple warp to find. You just need to head right as fast as you possibly can. You peg it, basically. You peg it and find that rocket ship and it'll take you straight through to board eight. I do love that just the way the game's designed, you can't just run into the rocket. You have to jump to catch it. Yeah. There is so much timing that needs to be done there. Confession time, until I watched this episode, I played Snake, Rattle and Roll quite a bit, mainly under emulation later on. I didn't know about this warp. Wow. So now I'm like, I'm going to fire that up. I'm going to get in there and, and get that warp. Well, before you do that, let's go to our final challenge. And here to tell us what it is, it's the Games Master. 
The last of this week's challenges is on a game called Threat, in which you need to guide an innocent, nappy-clad babe through a perilous maze where all manner of dangers lurk. Your task is to get through stage one of level five. Anticipation is the key. If you let the child cop it, or if you dawdle and get caught by the scrolling screen, the challenge is over. Good luck. The life of an innocent child is at the mercy of your mouse finger. Something that I'd noticed over the past couple of episodes with the Games Master, and this speaks to how television technology has changed over the years. In the days of CRTs, there was a thing called underscan and a thing called overscan. And the idea is that every picture would be slightly bigger than would actually be displayed on your television. So that would be the overscan area. You wouldn't put anything in that area uh, that needed to be displayed. It's the equivalent of print margins. Mm. For the Games Master graphics, it often appears that they went to the edge of that border and stopped because watching these back on YouTube, there is more background than there is Games Master. <laughs> yeah. Like the entire right-hand side, last two, three, four yeah. percent is just plain. Yeah. And I find it really distracting uh, to watch now because my eye keeps getting drawn to the right or to the left. Well, now I'm going to see that. Now that's all I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be looking at Patrick Moore talking about the game. I'm going to be focusing on that bit. You're welcome. Well, our final challenge is Brat for the Amiga. Never heard of this game before, but holy heck, it looks like a lot of fun. I'd heard of it. And again, Amiga Envy. I need to get that Amiga sorted at some point because this was a game which combined so many different elements I loved. I loved isometric games. There's something about that viewpoint that just speaks to me, possibly because I loved technical drawing as well when mm-hmm. I was younger, less so now because the computer can do it for me. But I love technical drawing. And of course, one of the first things you learn is perspective and drawing things at that kind of viewpoint when you're doing um, breakdowns and, and basic modeling. Then you've got the kind of lemming style game of essentially a single-minded creature in this case, a baby that looks kind of cool in shades and a baseball cap. jacket. He's got this, this baby. This is boss baby before there was boss baby. Oh, this baby's cool. This baby. This baby's ready for his cameo in Look, Look Who's Talking. <laughs> yeah. But he will just move unless you tell him to do otherwise. You won't turn. He won't stop. So you've kind of got that lemming's puzzle. And then you've got a point-and-click element of trying to find items to solve puzzles. You have meat to fend off a shark. You have a bone to give to a dog. And that's all happening at once whilst the screen is scrolling down automatically. And if it catches up to you, you die. It is tough. And it's like the Lemmings Challenge that we had back in episode two, I think it was. This is a one-shot deal. You've got one shot to get this right. But unlike that Lemmings Challenge, where that was, if you make one mistake, you're done for. This, you've got multiple ways to make mistakes. And the kid does really well. Welcome to Games Master, Michael. Must be it. Now, I think this is an incredibly tough game. Are you confident about it? Um, just slightly, not very much, though. <laughs> right, have you been practicing a lot, though? Um, for a few days. <laughs> okay. Michael Merrin joins us to play this game, and he feels a little bit confident. He's a little bit nervous on camera, but... I get the feeling he's been playing this game. Hey, we've got Tom Watson from Renegade of uh, Bitmap Brothers. Or, yeah. You know, the home of the Bitmap Brothers. And he says that you need to watch the screen that is scrolling down. Otherwise, you are going to get caught. But it's interesting that it's Tom Watson from Renegade, as I said, it's the home of the Bitmap Brothers. Because while I was doing my re- research into this game, it, you know, it got fairly good reviews. Amiga Format gave it 87%. Zero gave it 90%. But Amiga Power criticized the design of the titular character, describing him as nauseating. In fact, what he says is that Nathan is the most nauseating little git I've ever come across in 12 years of video gaming. Wow, someone's got some issues. 
But here I thought was a really interesting part of this because he's, he starts off his review saying there's a little bit of controversy surrounding the game and he's not sure if it's going to affect his view on it. He says that gaming isn't, uh, you know, everyone getting together and having a nice time. There are rivalries within various different publishing houses and various different developing houses. And he says that, in theory, everyone should love Bratz. And this is where the quote starts. It isn't a coin-op conversion. It isn't a movie license. It's a completely original arcade puzzly thing with a lovably nasty sweet baby as its hero. So why does everyone hate it as if it was personally responsible for the death of their favorite aunt? Well, on the one side, it's been suggested that the character may have been borrowed from the Bitmap Brothers' forthcoming Magic Pockets, while on the other side, the gameplay looks like it's been um, heavily influenced by Lemmings for a start. Now, I like Brad as a game. I didn't get to play it much, Amiga Envy, but I did play it later on in life. I love Lemmings. Lemmings is still a top favourite, and as I think we've discussed before, Magic Pockets is like my, my white whale kind of game. <laughs> yeah. Other than a baseball cap and shades, there is sod all com- actual real comparison between the titular character of Magic Pockets and Brat. Mm. The kid in Magic Pockets is a teenager wearing clothes and sneakers, and the kid in Brat, he's got the sunglasses and leather jacket, but he's also wearing a diaper. Yeah, and I think. Or, it- sorry. A nappy. <laughs> I think it's unfair to say that a game has lifted from other ways. Because, so like, like, you know, things take inspiration from other things. And also, I think that putting sunglasses and a leather jacket on something wasn't exactly unique in 1991. That was just a way to make someone look cool. That's then like saying, well, Magic Pockets clearly ripped off, I don't know, James Dean. Yeah, exactly. But I just thought it was interesting that Tom Watson from Renegade is there in the commentary booth when apparently there's all of this... Uh, hatred and controversy surrounding this game. Well, I think as we've also established in some of the magazine articles that we've looked at thus far, there's a lot of games journalism that's just absolute bollocks, (laughs) particularly before the internet. They just made up. Well, our player here is very, very good at this game. He is on fire for the majority of this he's five steps ahead of everything he there are times when he is waiting for the screen to scroll because he's already done everything he can he has rehearsed this game a lot and yeah he he's rehearsed it he's played it he knows the game he knows the style it's a joy to watch him play and it makes me want to play the game because i'm like man this game looks fun yeah this game looks challenging This is another game I think would work really well on a modern platform like I'm holding a tablet. Yeah. It's the perfect point and click kind of game. Uh, There's been a couple of iPad games that have kind of worked with that perpetual motion of a Mm -hmm. character. There's one that's a sleepwalking guy that you have to guide through his dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, this would just look great. Keep the pixel graphics. Just, you know, do the appropriate scalings and... Yeah, that, that'd be fine. I'd love to see a comeback for that or just a re-release. But Mike does really, really well. But unfortunately, about halfway through the level, he just puts the stop sign down in the wrong place and the dog gets him. Yeah, the idea would be, ideally, the baby comes down the slide, hits the stop sign, stops until the dog has been given the bone, so to speak, diamondism, and then he can remove the stop sign and the baby can continue on its way. Yeah. Because it's isometric, everything's divided into squares, and he puts it one square to the right. And the worst bit is, and I feel for him on this one, he's already prepping for the next step. He doesn't realize that he's missed that mark until it's too late. Heartbreaking, because otherwise 
he was on for a clean run. And this would have, if he'd completed this, I would have put this as a close contender to DuckTales for my favorite challenge of the series, just because of how easy he was making it look. Congratulations, Michael. Um, talk us through, you were going very well, but then what went wrong? Well, I uh, put a stop sign down in the wrong place where uh, I wanted to stop, and the dog obviously came after me um, where I should have had a bone. So I kept going instead of stopping. Right, well, you had the bone, but didn't quite get a stop sign. It. Yeah. it was really, really impressive stuff. It was very unfortunate by the end. But, you know, he freely admits that he made the mistake. He said, I just put the stop sign in the wrong direction. And then looks very uncomfortable when Dominic Diamond says, Well, we've certainly enjoyed looking at you. Well, we've enjoyed looking at you. That's a bit creepy. It's a bit weird. And the kid just looked at it. I was like, hmm, I'm not sure how to respond to that. Although maybe Dominic did see the same camera angles that we saw because there were a couple during this challenge where you were seeing right up this guy's nostrils and <laughs> yeah. I felt a bit bad for him because I'm like, oh, guys, don't do that. That's not a flattering <laughs> angle on anyone. So that's it for tonight. But there's a sniffer Darjeeling in the air. So it's on with the smoking jacket and off to the cloisters. Keep pounding the keyboard and we'll see you in seven days. Good night. Well, Dominic Diamond has got his cup of Darjeeling and he tells us to keep pounding the keyboard because he'll see us in seven days. When I first watched this, I did think that it might be the worst episode of the series yet because I did not really get on with the first challenge. As much fun as it was having Pat and Mick on, and also it was a breath of fresh air from it being another sports personality, I did actually enjoy the final challenge. But I don't think this is the strongest episode of Games Master we've done. Maybe it, yeah, it's not the worst, it's the weakest episode we've had thus far. Bizarrely, I'm approaching it from a completely opposite direction. I thought apart from the first challenge, which was mostly bad because of how annoying the guy on it was, I thought this episode was pretty rock solid. Okay. I didn't agree with the Wing Commander 2 score per se. Speedball 2 got a good outing. It only did. We got shown the Neo Geo, which, which is, is a sexy bit of kit. Certainly is. It was nice to see someone going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Dominic on dick jokes. And that third challenge, while not successful, was a fun challenge, well-paced, made some good visual entertainment. So I think I'm going to give this episode the same score that Speedball 2 got. I'm wow. going to go 85%. Wow. Because while the first guy got my goat, <laughs> everything else was just nice it was pleasant it flowed i'll let the creepy comment at the end slide i'm going 85 percent. i'm gonna go slightly lower and when i say slightly a lot lower um yeah it, it just didn't do a lot for me unfortunately and i think last episode i gave 70 percent to for toe jam and earl that terrible review so i'm gonna have to go slightly lower i'm gonna go to 68 percent for it oh not even giving it the dignity 69 Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe I should have gone for 69. There was, a, there was an open goal there that I missed. Nice. nice. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap it up for another episode. Uh, we're going to go get our nice little cup of Darjeeling tea. Have and, a bit of a sniff. And then we'll see you all in seven days' time. Take care. Bye-bye.
Now for that information about the Under Consultation Club. You can follow us on Twitter at UnderConsolePod, and you can send your thoughts on each episode to feedback at underconsultation.com. You can also follow your hosts on Twitter at ThisIsLukeOwen and at AshVersus. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a subscribe and a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.